Welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, business, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. Please stay tuned after the show for the Messy Bulletin Board, a segment where we promote our fellow creators. Today we will be expanding on our conversation on teaching and talking about the difficulties that students face, as well as Rebecca's future as a teacher. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So we, le- we left off last time kind of talking about the stages that students go through. Um, you were kind of describing three different stages, and uh, I was hoping that you could kind of expand on that a little bit more because we, we kind of cut it a little bit short last time. Sure. Um, yeah, I always uh, feel like there's... A- a lot of things that go on in a workshop that aren't necessarily just um, the, the learning of techniques, which is, of course, important, but there's uh, some really some personal challenges that go on. And what we were what we ended up the last podcast uh, talking about was how there's often kind of a frustration point in the middle. We start out kind of excited and open Um people tend to get frustrated and bogged down in the middle. And I'll talk in just a second about why that might be. And then as they come to the end of the class, uh, usually there's a, I don't know, something kicks in and it all it all ends all right. So, but the things that, that really can bog people down are just some pretty challenging things. And it sort of depends on your personality, but like as a student, you might have trouble with say, um, not following a preconceived idea, because the way that I teach is intuitive and in response to what's happening in front of you. So that's probably one of the most common frustrations is that people are holding something in their mind uh, that they want the painting to become. And in a way, that's not a bad thing, but that happens more once you really know the materials and you know your intentions and what you're after. Uh, but as you're learning, it's it's really better to be more open-ended with it. Do you find that that is, is coming a lot of times from students who are coming, um, who have previous education and they're coming from realism? Um, I feel like there's a lot more realism being taught than abstraction. Um, True. And there's certainly, that that's the whole, it's a, it's a whole different way of thinking about art. Right. And sometimes when people come to a workshop, they're not only coming to learn the medium that I teach, which is cold wax and oil, but my focus is on abstraction. And as you say, maybe they've never uh, painted abstractly before. So that is two huge things to tackle in one short workshop. So, you know, sometimes I, I encourage people to, you know, hang on to something that they're comfortable with, maybe maybe reference to the landscape or the figure. And that that's all part of abstraction anyway. So, you know, it's people, the, the other thing, there's a couple of other things that frustrate people. And one is that they have high expectations usually because, uh, you know, many times they've really been looking forward to coming and putting a lot of um, pressure on themselves really to to do well and to, to understand all this stuff that comes at them. And, I always find that it it really takes the time after the workshop to really absorb everything. So I encourage people to take notes and so on and and to give them to be patient, to give themselves time in the workshop and understand it's not all going to come together at once and time after they 
go back to their own studios to absorb it and, you know, learn from it. Sure. And moderating your expectations is kind of a recipe for happiness in just about anything. (laughs) You know, if you have high expectations, you're probably going to be disappointed most of the time. True. And, you know, I mean, there's there's a good side to having expectations for yourself. I mean, you know, you set high standards for yourself and, um, you know, many high achieving people work from pretty high expectations. So I don't, you know, I don't think it's a terrible thing, but. Well, you certainly want to have goals, but I feel like that's a little bit different. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. And I think I think when people come to a workshop for the first time, they really, they don't know what's going to happen. So to base expectations on a situation that you don't really, you've never had it before, you know, it's, uh, that is probably a, you know, recipe for frustration <laughs> because uh, you don't know. I mean, in, in, my, in my classes anyway, there's a lot of information that's uh, coming at people. And, and the other thing, there's another thing that really is a difficult thing that frustrates people. And that is that the way that I teach is building up layers and layers of paint. Okay. So, um, sure. There is a covering up. There's, you know, you put something down and then maybe it's only, you know, 15 minutes into the painting and you're thinking, well, you know, I, kind of like that can I just stop <laughs> and it's like and, no cover it up <laughs> <laughs> and people always you know kind of joke with me because I I um I keep saying no no go on move on and uh, I I've had students kind of hide their paintings from me because <laughs> <laughs> they uh, they don't want me to tell them to cover something up and it's you know and I always do say well you know when you're on your own in your own studio, you might decide that three or four layers is what you need, and that's fine. Uh, but as long as you're here, take, <laughs> you know, I'm in charge. No, <laughs> It's like, uh, well, you know, do it my way, see if you like it, and maybe, maybe you'll discover. But what I really like about all those layers is you build in a tremendous amount of potential. And, and just today, I was working on a painting that um, you know, I I really did kind of want it to be done, and I thought it was done, and I I um I came in and had lunch, and then I went back and I uh, I started painting it again. <laughs> I put <laughs> <laughs> I completely changed it, added more layers. But one thing I really noticed. Well, it's funny because I've heard that from you so many times. You oh, know, I know, that, I that know. You feel like a painting is kind of getting there; it's kind of done, and then you come, you come and you look at it again. And you're like, nope, it's getting covered in blue. You That's know? right. <laughs> and I think what happens to me is, and what happened this time was, I got too tight with it. So, yeah. Um, I just, uh, yeah, I just covered it over a lot of it with a different color, and I started scraping back. And I, I was thinking about the fact that all that paint under there. Uh, was adding, you know, I was discovering things when I scraped back and when I put solvents on it that I had forgotten were there. And I was going all the way down to the first few layers in places, not over the whole painting, but just selectively revealing places. And that's that's a hard thing to convey in class because people often feel that they're wasting paint. paint oil paint's really expensive, and I get that. And um, when you just put something down and then let it set up a bit and then cover it over again, it can be, I mean, people just almost get angry and say, well, what are we doing? You know, and, um, it takes a lot of courage to kind of trust in the process. And yeah, 
allow it to unfold naturally. Yeah, and and some people are just fine. They you know they're okay with going with it, but you know over and over it is an issue to try to coach people through that time, <laughs> and um, you know if, until they see what happens when you have a lot of paint on there, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to understand or appreciate that. That's how you get these rich textures and rich colors, is to not stop too soon. So do you think that the frustrations that students are facing in a large part are due to that, that process that you're teaching? Uh, do you think that they would face that if, if in other teaching situations as well? Or do you think um, it's kind of unique to your situation? I'd say those those aspects of it might might be found in other classes, other abstract approaches, but it is a bit unique for the way that I teach or the way that I work, you know, definitely relies on this slow buildup of layers and letting them set up. The cold wax helps the paint set up. So it's not like you have to wait a long time, but you have to step back now and then and let, so things don't get muddy and let it set up. And the other thing that because of that fairly slow process, usually people don't have more than maybe one painting that is close to being done, even though we work on lots of them. So they're going to have, when they leave, they're going to have some starts that they really haven't gotten very far with. They've got some that are getting there, and maybe they have one or two that are pretty close. But again, back to expectations, you know, when you come to the workshop, some people do believe they're going to leave with a bunch of finished work, even though I really try to downplay that idea. And, you know, I've even had people come and say, well, I'm, I'm here to work on my exhibit that I'm having next month or something. <laughs> you know, talk about pressure on yourself to, you know, learn a new technique and think that the work is going to be uh, ready for an exhibit. You know, it's just... So is, is that kind of pushback that you get from students, is that challenging for you? It is. I, you know, because I feel that there, that patience is so much a part of it. And that, you know, my own work took years and years to develop um, to these techniques. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always aware of that. Of course, I'm giving in, I'm teaching, I'm teaching shortcuts, I'm teaching what I know. And so that all that experimentation and everything doesn't have to take place. That's the point, you know, <laughs> like I'm handing, I'm handing over things that people can use right away. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be mastered right away or, you know, be able to be used in a, uh, in a way that's meaningful to the person. That takes time. Yeah, I, I suppose you got to really love it, though, in order to, to keep on going. Well, a lot of people tell me it's, it's an addictive way of painting. So, <laughs> you, because there's so many surprises, you know, the, so many things that the medium does as you're working that are just exciting because you didn't expect it and you you scrape away and all of a sudden there's something there that you didn't you forgot about or uh didn't know was there and so um you know that there's another thing i should mention about the cold wax medium and oil process as the way that i teach it anyway is that there are what we call happy accidents <laughs> which happen very easily with this medium because of all the layers because of the body that it gives to the paint so that you can manipulate it in these interesting ways and textural ways. So you get these little things that happen and, and they can be absolutely gorgeous. I mean, and 
you know, and I was talking about non-attachment, um, it's a real lesson, and it's a lesson that most of us keep learning over and over again, is to let those go, those beautiful little spots, if they're not contributing to the whole of the painting. And <laughs> I say we have to learn over and over again, because I still, you know, can become attached to those. And mm-hmm. oftentimes, once you paint over it, the painting comes together, and you can move through, you can move on. But it really inhibits uh, the progress of the painting when you have to preserve this loveliness that you've created by accident. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, And, you know, it, that's hard. And somebody will have an area that they love and I'll say, um, you know what, uh, that's not working with the rest of the painting. You know, look at it. Look at the composition here. And it's, it's kind of tough, you know. <laughs> well, and I feel like a lot of people... You know, even in the art community, there's this kind of fe- this totally unjustified feeling that abstraction is should be easy or is easy, um, and it's 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 not. You know, when you start getting into it, you know, it's not something that you can just kind of jump into and expect to see results immediately. No, and and you're you're making something out of nothing, and while that might, like you say, sound kind of easy you're dealing with all the visual elements and composition and value and color and line and shape. And no, it's, it's not easy. And when you're working representationally, all those elements are present in, you know, ways that you can recognize and play off of just based Mm -hmm. off of what's in front of you. And when that's not just in front of you, you got to create all that. Right. Yeah. And I mean, obviously representational work has its own challenges Oh, absolutely. But, but you know, I've I think I think any good abstract painter would would agree that it's really quite difficult. You know, it, at least if you're avoiding a sort of a formulaic approach where sure. you know, you you figured something out now you're going to do it for the next 10 years or something. Yeah. Well, my my experience with abstraction is that the difficulty in abstraction is making it look like something other than a muddy puddle. <laughs> right, or just very simple you know, mm-hmm. but but there can be beautiful, beautifully simple work, but the most beautiful minimalism is is actually very difficult, and it's it's been sort of wrought over the years of finding the essence of things or whatever. Um, well, here here's a point where I think we may find some disagreement because I want to I th- specifically uh, there's a, a painting I believe it's at the Walker Art Center or it's three paintings and they're they're all in primary colors right there's like a a panel oh. of red and a panel of yellow and a panel of blue and i i look at that and i think wow somebody's deadline was due and they went to they went and they went to Sher- sherwin williams and got a bunch of paint and just rolled it on there and i yeah. know that you love that painting okay so i i know exactly what you're talking about it's a barnett newman <laughs> painting because you were there we were there together and um i am blanking on whether it's at the walker or the milwaukee art center it's definitely in Minneapolis. Oh, it is. Okay. Then it's probably at the Minneapolis I believe it's Art at the Walker Art Center. <laughs> yeah, okay. It might be anyway. at the Art Institute. But Barnett Newman was someone who pioneered um, color, uh, pure color, and, and simplicity. And so for Well, it me, certainly is that. 
And I don't want to get into a big debate about that in the podcast, but <laughs> but I I find the uh, experience of being of it's a large large painting, so you get, get up close and you're surrounded by this intense color, and that's what I enjoyed about it when you and I were there. But um, it's also you know there's a lot of artwork that plays a role somewhere in art history, and so there, it's a there's theoretical aspects to work like that. Well, that and, is a valid point. You know, that I mean, yeah. I, I understand that, you know, the guy played this role in art history and, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I just look at it and I see three panels of, of plain color, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's just not interesting to me. It, it's, you well, know. And what I used to say when I taught art appreciation was you don't have to like it, um, but try not to dismiss it as unimportant because there was an idea being explored and from there other ideas became evident and so you know in a way you're you're looking at um points in art history when you when you go through an art museum and the I, development of ideas i guess so I, I i know that he was a serious painter and that this was part of his his own research about color so um i guess uh, can, we'll leave it at that okay <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, yeah, I remember at the time, it's like, well, we'll agree to disagree on this yeah. one. <laughs> I don't know. We both have strong opinions on the subject, so. We do, we do. And, you know, I, I've i taught art history, art appreciation, studied it a lot. And, you know, there's definitely work that I don't personally like, but I realize it's it's part of the conversation that's been going on for centuries and centuries. So I try to try to listen to all the voices, I guess. So uh, let let's get back on track. Let's talk more about workshops. Can you sure. talk a little bit about um, you know kind of the process that you've went through, how the workshops have expanded uh, over time, and sure. And you know, I, I guess just a parting word on and what we were just talking about. Sometimes <laughs> one more parting <laughs> one shot. more parting word <laughs> is that this stuff does come up sometimes in workshops, and I I always try to bring in a lot of art history when I teach because. Um, there's so much about context, you know, where um, what particular artists were interested in and what they contributed. And I do a big, um, I have a long PowerPoint that I often show about abstraction and it, it covers a lot of ground um, and it covers minimalism and things like that. So it's a huge topic. And again, very difficult when people enter the class. What, what I often hear is... Um, uh, I've been using, I've been working representationally, and now I want to go abstract. <laughs> and I always think, what does that mean? <laughs> Just go abstract. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, let it all go, you know. And it, anyway, um, so you were asking me about how things have changed over the years, and yes. they, um, and that's part of it actually. That PowerPoint was developed because of a need and that's that's what really changes the the workshops is i understand a need to explain something in a better way with pictures or with an exercise or something uh that i can you know make a point with to the students and so it didn't my workshops started out pretty simply and i didn't address these things but over time i just found that there were a couple things that were really important. And one of them was 
this context about abstraction and and the range of it really what what all can be included and because that's an aspect of what I teach is abstraction and the other one um, is that some basic stuff like I'm talking here about an introductory class and I do teach more advanced classes but people might come in um, not really knowing some really basic things about color say and I can't assume that people know all this basic stuff. So it's not like I can do a, a really fast, like, Art 101 class, you know. But I try to, in terms of what we're working on and what the materials we're using, I try to bring up things like color, value, mark-making, composition, and build that into the discussion and some of the demos so that, at least there's some attempt to address those things. And even for experienced artists, it does not hurt to hear that stuff again. So I touch on a lot of that stuff. Um, and that's that's what, <laughs> that's why the workshops are really hard to teach in only three days anymore. I almost never only teach three days. Now it's four is my minimum, and I can go much longer. Because there's so much. <laughs> so how how has this evolved into what you're looking at in the future and where you're going now with workshops? Well, I 2018 for me this this year now is is a um, it's a time of um, I guess I've been calling it a sabbatical. Like I'm just taking that term as if I were teaching at the university, I guess. But it's you know a sabbatical is a, is a rest rest year for doing your own work and that's how I'm looking at it. So I only have two classes this year and one of them is in March at in Ireland because I always like to go back there and while I'm there I teach. So I'm doing that and then in September I'm teaching a workshop with my friend Janice Mason Steves in Spain and that one is not cold wax medium. We we both decided we wanted to try something different. And we both do work in water-based media and drawing. So we decided that would be the medium and the media and that we would focus on um, experiencing this unique place that we're going to be staying in and teaching in. So that's only two workshops. And uh, and if you're listening and wondering if you can get in, uh, they're both full So um, with a waiting list. But anyway, um, so that this year is, is really backing off from teaching, but I think it's not that I want to give it up or anything, and I think it's just going to take different forms probably going going forward because I do find that actually teaching classes and traveling to do them, and a lot of the classes in recent years have been in other countries uh, and, and all different places around this country, you know, it's very time-consuming, and uh, it's wonderful, but, you know, I just don't get enough time for my own painting. Yeah, and it sounds exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it, it it is pretty much. It's um, it's intense, that's all I can say. Yeah. So um, I guess with the book that Jerry McLaughlin and I published, um, and uh, we we've been giving you that that website often on uh, in our other podcasts, but the book is called Cold Wax Medium Techniques, Concepts, and Conversations. 
Well, the book really offers a lot of information. And so in a way, I feel that having done this book, this full of techniques and things that I developed, as well as many things by other people, I feel like it's kind of, okay, this is um, something I can leave behind, even if I'm not physically teaching anymore. And so that that takes the place maybe somewhat of the experience of a workshop, but it's also different. And I I guess I wanted, would make the point that there is nothing like a workshop where you get interaction from the instructor and the other students and you know, all kinds of things that you need FaceTime to do. <laughs> um, the other thing that, that Jerry and I are working on now is a full-length instructional video. And we felt there were a lot of things in the book that we... <laughs> We had to write all the stuff out, right, and, you know, explain how you're going to do this or that technique and put some photos in there. And we did the best we could, but there is nothing like watching somebody do this stuff. So a big part of the video will be instructional about technique, and then there's a lot of other stuff that will be in there, too. So, again, it's it's something that is a, you know, it's a tangible thing that I can say I've done and... I I'm talking myself out of feeling guilty for not teaching. <laughs> but I you know I just feeling the need to to do my own work and focus on that for a while. And then I think sure. there will be there will be more teaching in the future too. And one of the things like I'm doing with Jan Mason Steves and I've done with Jerry is co-teaching and that's really interesting like you know having two teachers and bouncing things around and it's it's really it's fun for the instructors really to not carry the entire burden <laughs> and um it's it's a it's just new thing i guess i'm kind of enjoying so how how does that dynamic work with two teachers does do you play hmm. different roles kind of in the classroom or somewhat yeah um i think it depends on the two different people for sure and uh, Jan, Jan was just here in New Mexico, and we we spent a lot of time trying to figure out um, how we were going to teach this one in Spain, and we came up with some great ideas. And I think you get the sense, you know, during the planning of it being a true collaboration, because collaboration is, uh, you know, the sum is greater. The let's see, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Like each person is coming up with something, and then together you expand it and it's very exciting and we we really came up with some interesting ideas uh and i think when we're actually teaching we've we've kind of figured out we'll be bouncing things back and forth a little bit but uh the the difficulty is that you don't want to be too contradictory with each other like everybody has their own point of view and you don't want to confuse people by giving them two totally different types of feedback say don't fight in front of the kids is what you're saying that's right the parents are united front so (laughs) so so there is something there uh where you're trying to be very aware of what the other person is is saying trying to build on that if you do have a very different opinion you know you say it but you you know you always kind of couch it in this is how i'm looking at it Maybe the other person looked at it a little bit differently. And then you as the artist, the student, 
decide what feels right to you. So it's um it's a bit it's very interesting. It's very dynamic. And uh when Jerry and I teach together we you know, he's he has a very direct way and I'm more sort of um uh indirect, I guess, you know, I'm I I feel my way into a conversation with an artist and I probably don't make very direct statements about I think you should do this or whatever as much as Jerry would do. So we kind of and he's he's just more simply challenging to people I think than I am. And so um at the beginning of the class we sort of joke around and sometimes we say we're the good cop and the bad cop. <laughs> <laughs> he's the bad cop, I'm the good cop. So well well different our... people respond to different teaching styles. So they I do. suppose it's good to have yeah. kind of two different yeah. approaches at work. It is. And you know, and I think at the same time working with someone that, you know, you respect, they respect you, which is which is true for anyone I've taught with in the past and so you know, there's certainly no competition or anything among the two instructors. They're doing everything they can to make it cohesive. So it, it's it's really interesting, though. I like I like the whole idea. Well, I, I we're right at about a half hour. Is there anything else you want to say about teaching workshops? Any last words of wisdom for people? <laughs> um, I think we've covered a lot of stuff here, and I I know there'll be other things that come up in other podcasts that, um have to do with with learning and we're always learning i mean i learn things i guess that's that's a parting thought is that i learn a lot when i teach and i i often learn from things the students do or say and i i take things away from a workshop that i did not expect to and one of the things i notice when i'm often when i'm done teaching a workshop and i go back to my own work i'll think of someone in the class who was very um, who it's always someone different, but somebody who's very experimental or very open and spontaneous, and I I just kind of feed off some of that energy because, you know, we can become a bit set in our ways, and I think that's one of the joys of teaching. Well said. On today's Messy Bulletin Board, James Edward Sherbarth will be at the Peninsula School of Art in beautiful Door County, Wisconsin this June. Jim will be offering an introduction to abstract painting with oil and wax medium, utilizing his process purpose passion approach to meaningful abstract painting. This class is June 11th to the 14th, 2018. Complete details and registration are available through both Jim's website, www.jamesedwardsherbarth.com, that's S-C-H-E-R-B-A-R-T-H, and the school's website, www.peninsulaschoolofart.org. See their workshop page. Also on the Messy Bulletin, learn the principles of cold wax medium in a workshop with renowned Canadian artist Janice Mason Steves, translating her mastery of technique, composition, and design into an accessible format. Mason Steves helps students nurture and develop their own creative voice. She also accepts students for her online art mentoring program which offers honest, constructive, one-on-one feedback to help students and professional artists alike move their work forward. Learn more at JaniceMasonSteves.com. All of the links mentioned in today's Messy Bulletin will be available on our Facebook page as well as in the description for this episode. If you would like your own bulletin posted, please contact us through the Messy Studio Facebook page. 
We do charge a small fee based on average number of downloads per episode, but while the show is growing, it is a great opportunity. These early shows will continue to be downloaded well into the future and will generate ongoing traffic to your website. Um, many of you have commented that you love the sound of my voice. I thank you very much. Uh, if you want to hear more, then I suggest you check out one of my audiobooks. Uh, my personal favorite is Headhunters from Outer Space by Brett McCormick. You can find that on Amazon. Uh, it's fabulous. It is. It's wonderful. I do all the voices. It's great fun. Well, that wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find Rebecca Kroll on Facebook. Make sure to check out www.coldwaxbook.com and www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Um, so thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment and a bit of sound advice and wisdom. So please subscribe on iTunes, rate and review us, and uh, we'll see you next week. In the meantime... Embrace your creative space. Messy or otherwise. Bye now. <laughs> <laughs>